Hi, everyone. This is Ted O'Connell, author of USMLE Step 2 Secrets. Before we get started with this episode of the podcast, I just want to tell you about a new project I'm developing called MedPrep to Go. The idea here is to create a free online and audio USMLE question bank for both Step 1 and Step 2, with the overall goal of reducing the cost of medical education and giving you time back in your day, just like we're doing with this podcast. It's still early in the process, and we're adding a lot of questions and new episodes of the podcast regularly, but I'd love to have you go check it out at medpreptogo.com. And if you're interested in getting involved in developing questions for this question bank and getting some mentoring directly from me on how to develop questions, I'd love to have you involved. You can email me at ted.medpreptogo at gmail.com or you can go over to medpreptogo.com and sign up through the website. So thanks so much for uh, listening and enjoy the podcast. I'm Ted O'Connell, author of USMLE Step 2 Secrets and Chief Content Officer for Inside the Boards. This is the Step 2 Secrets podcast, where we provide you the high-yield content from Step 2 Secrets in audio format, as well as question breakdowns, so you can study on the go and get back to reclaiming some of your life. Here's our question dissection for today. Welcome, everyone. This is Ted O'Connell, the author of USMLE Step 2 Secrets. I am here with Patrick Beeman, the host and founder of Inside the Boards podcast. He's going to be joining me to review a question for this chapter that has been generously supplied by Elsevier. All right. So today we have a 66-year-old female with a history of hypercholesterolemia who's managed on cholestyramine therapy. She subsequently develops a mild essential hypertension. And the question we have here is which antihypertensive agent would be most likely to exacerbate the patient's hyperlipidemia. The answer choices are A, captopril, B, furosemide, C, hydrochlorothiazide, D, nifedipine, and E, prazosin. All right, can you help me uh, think through this one? Pretty simple vignette, straight and to the point, which maybe that makes it deceptively easy. Yeah, and it does, Patrick. And I don't know that it makes it deceptively easy. It's, this is just a case of kind of knowing some of the side effect profiles of medications and, and more specifically, which medications can have adverse effects on cholesterol profiles. So knowing that birth control pills, glucocorticoids, thiazides, and beta blockers are the main classes of medications that can cause hypercholesterolemia will lead you to the correct answer here. So, and in this case, it is hydrochlorothiazide. Captopril is an ACE inhibitor. Furosemide is a loop diuretic. Nifedipine is a calcium channel blocker. And prazosin is an alpha blocker. None of those fit the profile of being a birth control pill, glucocorticoid, thiazide diuretic, or beta blocker. The only correct answer here is a thiazide, which in this case is C-hydrochlorothiazide. Thiazide diuretics increase both triglyceride and cholesterol levels and are considered quote-unquote lipid-unfriendly medications along with beta blockers, which were not an answer choice here. Got it. All right. 
Well, I'm sure there's much more learning related to these in this chapter, so let's get into the content of Step 2 Secrets. This is Ted O'Connell, and this is the cholesterol chapter from USMLE Step 2 Secrets, 5th edition. Question 1. When is cholesterol screening done? Although no protocol is universally accepted, measurement of total cholesterol and high-density lipoprotein, or HDL cholesterol, every five years once a person turns 20 years old is considered reasonable by most authorities. Start sooner and screen more frequently for obese patients and patients with a family history of hypercholesterolemia. Number two, why is cholesterol so important? Cholesterol is one of the main known modifiable risk factors for atherosclerosis. Atherosclerosis is involved in about one-half of all deaths in the United States and one-third of deaths between the ages of 35 and 65 years. Atherosclerosis is the most important cause of permanent disability and accounts for more hospital days than any other illness. Number three. What physical findings will the Step 2 exam use as clues to hypercholesterolemia? Xanthelasma, tendon xanthomas, which are cholesterol deposits in the skin, classically over tendons in the lower extremities, corneal arcus in younger patients, milky appearing serum, and obesity are possible markers for familial hypercholesterolemia. Family members should be tested if a case of familial hypercholesterolemia is found. Pancreatitis in the absence of obvious risk factors may be a marker for familial hypertriglyceridemia. Number four, what are the current recommendations for management of cholesterol levels? The following information is from the 2013 American College of Cardiology and American Heart Association guidelines on the treatment of blood cholesterol to reduce atherosclerotic cardiovascular risk in adults. This new guideline differs from the previous recommendations in that it moves away from specific LDL targets. Instead, overall LDL reductions are recommended. So, for anyone with an LDL level at or above 190 milligrams per deciliter, the goal LDL reduction is to reduce it by at least 50%, and the recommended statin therapy is a high-intensity statin. For diabetics ages 40 to 75 years who have an LDL greater than 70 milligrams per deciliter, the goal LDL reduction is 30 to 50 percent, and the recommended statin therapy is a moderate intensity statin. For anyone with current or past cardiovascular disease, which includes angina, myocardial infarction, or peripheral artery disease, who has an LDL over 70 milligrams per deciliter, The goal is to reduce LDL by at least 50%, and the recommended statin therapy is a high-intensity statin. And finally, for anyone with a 7.5% or more chance of developing atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease in the next 10 years using a specific calculator, the goal is to reduce LDL by 30 to 50%, and the recommended statin therapy is a moderate-intensity statin. Number five, what is meant by high-intensity and moderate-intensity statins? High-dose statin means a statin at a sufficient dose to reduce LDL by at least 50%. This includes atorvastatin, 40 to 80 milligrams, and rosuvastatin, 20 to 40 milligrams. Moderate means a statin at a sufficient dose to reduce LDL by 30 to 50%. This includes atorvastatin, 10 to 20 milligrams, Simvastatin, 20 to 40 milligrams, 
rosuvastatin, 5 to 10 milligrams, pravastatin, 40 to 80 milligrams, and lovastatin, 40 milligrams. Number six, list the major risk factors for coronary heart disease. Although elevated levels of LDL and total cholesterol are risk factors for coronary heart disease, do not count them as risk factors when deciding to treat or not treat high cholesterol. The following factors should be counted. Age, men aged 45 years and older and women aged 55 years and older or with premature menopause and no estrogen replacement therapy. A family history of premature heart attacks defined as a definite myocardial infarction or sudden death in a father or first-degree relative less than 55 years old or a mother or first-degree female relative less than 65 years old. Cigarette smoking, hypertension defined as 140 over 90 millimeters of mercury or higher, or a prescription for antihypertensive medications, diabetes mellitus and a low HDL level below 40 milligrams per deciliter. Note, an HDL level greater than or equal to 60 milligrams per deciliter is considered protective and negates one of the above risk factors. Number seven, discuss other possible risk factors for heart disease. The 2013 ACC-AHA cholesterol guidelines address other factors that may indicate an elevated risk for atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. In selected individuals who are in one of the four statin benefit groups and for whom a decision to initiate statin therapy is otherwise unclear, additional factors may be considered to inform treatment decision-making. These factors include... Number one, a primary LDL greater than or equal to 160 milligrams per deciliter. Two, a family history of premature atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease with onset younger than 55 years in a first-degree male relative or younger than 65 years in a first-degree female relative. Three, a high-sensitivity C-reactive protein greater than or equal to 2 milligrams per liter. Four, coronary artery calcium score greater than or equal to 300 agatstin units or greater than or equal to the 75th percentile for age, sex, and ethnicity. Number five, an ankle brachial index greater than 0.9. And finally, an elevated lifetime risk of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. And yes, that is a very vague guideline. Please note that all of these possible risk factors for heart disease are potentially important in clinical practice. Many of these, though, are very unlikely to be tested on the USMLE Step 2. Number eight, how is LDL calculated? Lipoprotein analysis involves measuring total cholesterol, HDL, and triglycerides. LDL can then be calculated from the following formula LDL equals total cholesterol minus HDL, minus the total of triglycerides divided by 5. However, LDL can also be measured directly now as well. Question 9. How is HDL affected by alcohol, estrogens, exercise, smoking, or progesterone? High HDL is protective against atherosclerosis and is increased by moderate alcohol consumption, defined as one to two drinks per day, but not by high alcohol intake, exercise, and estrogens. HDL is decreased by smoking, androgens, progesterone, and hypertriglyceridemia. 
Question 10. What causes hypercholesterolemia? Genetics certainly plays a role, for example, familial hyperlipidemia, but most cases are thought to be multifactorial. Western diet and inactive lifestyle certainly contribute. Secondary causes of increased cholesterol include uncontrolled diabetes, hypothyroidism, uremia, nephrotic syndrome, obstructive liver disease, excessive alcohol intake, which increases triglycerides, and medications such as birth control pills, glucocorticoids, thiazides, and beta blockers. That's the end of this chapter. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated, my publishing company behind USMLE Step 2 Secrets, for allowing us to put out this book in audio format. Please check out the other Inside the Boards podcasts over at InsideTheBoards.com including the main Inside the Boards podcast and the Inside the Boards Study Smarter series for question breakdowns and tips on getting through medical school. And with that, we wrap up today's episode of USMLE Step 2 Secrets. Hi, this is Ted O'Connell. I just wanted to let you know real quick that when the time comes for you to begin studying for the USMLE Step 3, we actually now have a USMLE Step 3 subscription podcast. So I encourage you to check that out over at medpreptogo.com. We have sample episodes available. And even if you're studying for step two, you may actually find some of this content uh, really useful for your studies. So please do check it out.